Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. From Nola Pizza in the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Rashidi, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rusciutti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. New Orleans is a city of mysteries. Tourists fascinated by ghosts and grandeur learn about them on the French Quarter walking tours. For those of us who live here, there are other mysteries like why am I paying so much property tax and my street still has massive potholes. Here's another New Orleans mystery that may have crossed your mind. When you're driving down Chapatula Street, what goes on behind that flood wall? The Port of New Orleans is one of the most vital strands of the city's economy, but to the average New Orleanian, it's the least visible. And if you're driving around New Orleans at some point, you inevitably find yourself stopped waiting for a train to go by. On those occasions, a number of questions may cross your mind, like how long have I been sitting here? And, and why is this train so long? And what the heck is in all these train cars anyway? Well, good news. Today's the day we solve all of these mysteries about the port and the trains. Sitting across the table from me is Brandy Christian. She is the president and CEO of the Port of New Orleans and the New Orleans Public Belt Railroad. Brandy, welcome out to lunch. Well, good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Here's another difference between being a tourist and a resident of New Orleans. If you're a tourist, you go shopping on Canal Street. If you live here, there's a good chance you, you don't. Maybe you haven't even driven down Canal Street in a while. If that's the case, let me reassure you about something. Rubenstein's men's clothing and shoe store is still on the corner of Canal Street and St. Charles Avenue just as it has been since 1924. Which brings me to the second New Orleans mystery we're going to unravel today. And that is, with the radical shift in New Orleanian shopping habits, the advent of e-commerce, and the consistent decline in formal men's fashion, how does Rubenstein stay in business? That mystery is about to be unraveled by my lunch guest, owner and general manager of Rubenstein's, Kenny Rubenstein. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Brandy, you're president and CEO of both the Port of New Orleans and the New Orleans Public Belt Railroad. Obviously, a percentage of freight goes in and out of the port by rail, but the Public Belt Railroad extends beyond the port. So it seems like you have two different positions. You're president and CEO of the one of the busiest ports in the country, and you're president and CEO of a railroad. Are these, in fact, two separate positions, or are they so interconnected that it's essential for the CEO of one to also be the CEO of the other? Mm -hmm. Actually, they uh, are very uh, integrated uh, two organizations. Back in 2018, the Port of New Orleans acquired the New Orleans Public Belt Railroad from the city of New Orleans. And that was really a strategic move uh, by the Port of New Orleans working with the city uh, to integrate the railroad with the port so that the shippers and the rail partners, the class one railroads that come into New Orleans would be better aligned for both strategic planning as well as the services that come into the city. Um, so really it was to integrate all of the services that come here into New Orleans. And we set up it at, uh, the New Orleans Public Belt as a subsidiary of the Port of New Orleans. So um, I carry the uh, two separate titles uh, to run both organizations as separate but um, integrated organizations. And or otherwise, I'm really just going for the world's record of longest title. Yeah, yeah. 
So everybody is is afraid of you. That's yeah. really great. That's, a, <laughs> <laughs> that's great, Brandy. Kenny, uh, well-known shopping streets across America have changed markedly since Rubenstein's open in 1924. Fifth Avenue in New York is still bustling, but flagship stores like Lord & Taylor, Saks Fifth Avenue, uh, Men's Store, and, and The Gap, they're, they're all gone. State Street in Chicago and Market Street in Philadelphia are struggling to stay relevant. In New Orleans, Canal Street is no longer the local shopping mecca it once was. Department stores like Maison Blanche, Godshows, D.H. Holmes, and Krauss have all closed. Other landmarks like Wehrlein's, Krieger, uh, E.J. Wilkinson, and Woolworth are gone. But Rubenstein's is still there. What do you know about retail at Rubenstein's that all the other stores on Canal Street and around the country didn't manage to figure out? It's <laughs> a good question. It, uh, I, I'm not quite sure. I can tell you that uh, uh, the easy answer is it's about change and adapting. I mean, it's be, paying attention to what's going on out there in the market and making sure that you change. I think our size also helps. You know, you get those large businesses that it's like, like an 18-wheeler, much harder to turn that than a Mini Cooper. So, uh, um, and we're in that state where we have the ability to really analyze what's going on, make the change, and, and continue to be uh, relevant in, in the marketplace. And this is because you were a sociology minor at SMU? <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> analyze that group. Well, I mean, part of it, though, is also, I mean, we have a great, I mean, a huge, obviously, hospitality industry here in tourism, and that is kind of the gravy on things. You've got the visitors down there. And at the same time, we can bring the locals down with our complimentary valley parking and stuff. They can park in front. And, and you know, those are the little things that make it important to, to come downtown and, and see what we got. Not only have you been around forever, but your neighbor, Meyer yeah. the Hatter's been. Oh, yeah. But Meyer, <laughs> we are celebrating our 100th anniversary, and Meyer's going to celebrate his 100th birthday at the same time. I mean, it's, it's, it's I'm crazy. Coming. There's a, yeah. <laughs> Brandy. I gotta ask you something. The Public Belt Railroad, do other cities have that? Is it, you know, where is the uh, a not-for-profit or the, the city itself has a, a role in, in railway traffic in, the, in their city? Mm -hmm. No, it was actually pretty rare that the city owned the New Orleans Public Belt. And if you go back over 100 years ago, um, you look at old pictures of New Orleans, you saw massive rail yards all through downtown, French like Quarter. Was, Absolutely. Right? And all of the class one railroads came into New Orleans and they, it was kind of a free for all. It was completely unmanaged. And so the short line was created to basically meet those rail line, railroads on the outskirts of town. And then the one railroad, a short line, the public belt would bring them into the downtown. So you didn't have six different railroads coming into downtown unmanaged. And that was the concept of the New Orleans public belt. And in its red, original legislation, it actually read for the port of New Orleans, but it was put under the city of New Orleans. Mm -hmm. So a hundred something years goes by, um, the city, and it was under actually Mayor Mitch Landrew, that he really wondered and struggled, why is the city owning and managing a railroad? It's not our forte. Um, and so went through a process of looking at how, how do we either sell this or um, lease it out. And that's what started the conversation with the Port of New Orleans, that this is really our expertise. Um, about 50% of what we do is serving the terminals that the Port of New Orleans has, our, our industry partners. And the other 50% are all those six class one railroads that come into New Orleans. We do all the switching between those railroads. And it really takes, if you look at supply chain, and Kenny's probably very familiar with this, is when it comes to shipping, there are so many things that could go wrong between trucking, 
the railroad, warehousing, and then the port, we basically were able to take that one variable out and control the rail portion of um, the shipping and the supply chain. So it was a huge advantage and also for the community and for uh, the gateway. You ever had any shipping problems? <laughs> not through the port, yeah. not through the mean, port of New Orleans. Between uh, uh, airplanes and boats, I uh, tell you, it, it, nothing like the words, oh, it's stuck on a ship. Yes. I'm like, oh, <laughs> we'll get it soon. Right. You know, Kenny, I think of your store as, when I look at it demographically, I mean, most stores can say, you know, that these are locals and these are tourists, but yours seems almost a little bit more complicated. Who's shopping there? <laughs> it, it is very complicated. We get the question all the time about how much, you know, how many visitors. The easy answer is to say that at any given time, probably 75% of the people in the store, making it sound like I have tons of people in the store all the time, but uh, are probably visitors. Um, but they're not buying as much. And then the complicates the fact is that we have a lot of clients from out of town that come, you know, either come, I have a guy from Houston flies in just to order his custom shirts and then flies back. I'm like, where are you going to lunch? No, no, I'm flying back. I'm like, well, at least eat. But uh, so, um, and, and then I have customers just come in for, you know, every year for Jazz Fest or every year for a convention or whatever it is, and they are our clients. So they're not really what we consider that transient tourist customer, but they are out of town customers. So. Uh, generally, we'd say if I took just the transient customers, we say about 25% of the business is that. Out of town customers, it can get up to probably 40%. Your windows are very enticing. I oh, think that helps. That's our most, I mean, talk about real estate and value. Our windows are probably the most valuable part of our real estate. I mean, there is a day that goes by that somebody doesn't come by and, you know, say, oh, I saw this in the window. I get emails, people, worst timing, they'll be like, oh, I was in town and I saw this sweater and it was in the window and like, we just changed yesterday, we changed the window. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> I have to remember what was in that window and, and figure it out. But yeah, the windows are very important because um, our, our corners actually, the DDD did a, a survey with trackers and stuff and our corner is the second busiest corner. Um, the first one is obviously Bourbon Street and Canal. That corner is the number one. You don't want to have number an two. upscale clothing place there. Though. Yeah, yeah. no, that would not be the spot to put <laughs> that. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, uh, our our visitors, I mean, love to see our windows. Even our locals. We get people, you know, work downtown and stuff, and they love to stop by and see what's in our window. And Brandy, uh, you, although you're head of the Port of New Orleans, it's, it extends beyond New Orleans, right? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, the Port of New Orleans actually has jurisdiction all the way through Jefferson Parish, Orleans Parish, and St. Bernard Parish. And obviously, uh, we work throughout the state. So I always kind of explain it. It's like having an international airport is our facilities may be here in the lower Mississippi. But, um, for example, our container facilities, we're moving product for the manufacturers, the farms throughout the state of Louisiana. Um, and so really we're, we're moving product and coordinating with people throughout the state and beyond the state, obviously. Um, a lot of the products that we move are coming down from the Midwest. Um, we have ships that come in and get moved product into barge that go all the way up into Chicago, into the Midwest. Um, so much like an airport, we're kind of a, a hub. Um, and, but our jurisdiction uh, technically is through three parishes. When I, when I have people in town, I sometimes tell them that the Port of South Louisiana, the whole thing was, uh, the, uh, let's see, the, the most amount of uh, tonnage for 
uh, I guess you'd say in bulk. Yeah, uh, grain. Is mm -hmm. that is that right? Yeah, uh, so within the lower Mississippi, kind of Baton Rouge to the mouth of the river, uh, there's five ports, and um, between the oil and gas, grain, um, the products that we move, um, if you took all those five ports, that is the most amount of cargo that's actually moved um, in, in the world. Um, it's a combination um, of private facilities and public facilities. So the Port of New Orleans has the biggest amount, the largest uh, public facilities as a port. And then you look at like Port of South Louisiana, you have a bunch of private um, grain elevators, Chevron, Exxon, IMTT, just tremendous amounts of oil and gas and grain moving in that area. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Brandy Christian president and CEO of the Port of New Orleans and New Orleans Public Belt Railroad, and Kenny Rubenstein, owner and general manager of Rubenstein's Men's Clothing and Shoe Store. We'll continue our conversation when we come right back from this short break. Support for Out to Lunch comes from Adeta Corporate Staffing, Basics Swim and Gym, and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie, Infinite Health Integrative Medicine Center, Michelle Weighing and Measurement, Calibration Services and Measurement Equipment since 1947. New Orleans ice cream, available in select grocery stores, and Rev Realtors. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Brandy Christian, President and CEO of the Port of New Orleans and New Orleans Public Belt Railroad, and Kenny Rubenstein, owner and general manager of Rubenstein's Men's Clothing and Shoe Store. Kenny, I've, I've, I've got to ask you this. I have a, we've had a couple of uh, couple of people on that are in the retailing clothing side, and We've asked them about this real shift towards more casual wear. I mean, you yeah. know, you look terrific, by the way. I was going to say, but but it's uh, but you know, I'm I don't wear a suit every day to to work anymore. Have you adjusted your clothing line? Well, yeah. Um, I mean, it is the casual aspect of dress has changed. Although we're lucky to be in New Orleans, where it is generally a dressier city. I mean, we have tuxedos at the zoo you know i mean <laughs> we do you know we have mardi gras in fact this season for mardi gras i would say in the last 25 years we sold you know four full dress tails outfits made some uh, ordered some from stock in the last four months we've had 25 tails sold so i mean it's it's you know nowhere else i mean is formal wear a big deal and our formal wear is huge and it always will be so it's the whole thing that we dress up more here but with that said the way we have changed a little bit, I mean, you can look at the coat I'm wearing today. I mean, it is a sport coat, but we like to call it outerwear as innerwear kind of thing you'd wear. It's a little cool, you throw it on, but you don't have to take it off. It's not a jacket you take off when you come inside. And I can wear a tie with it as I am, or I can wear this with a nice pair of jeans and a, and a uh, shirt and be happy. So it's soft shoulders, less construction in it. So it's really closer to sportswear than it is to dress wear. So that we our business in that area is just growing exponentially. So that's a good example of adaptation. Yeah, well I mean even, you know, our biggest category in bottoms is the casual. Is five pocket uh, uh, pants and cotton and sometimes denim and some chinos as opposed to the dress pants because people are like, well, okay, I can wear it to work. I can wear a nice dressy cotton pant cut like a jean, which is the most comfortable, you know, cut there is and still wear a coat and be comfy and look nice to meet my clients. So it, it it's really, you can still dress casual without looking like a, a slum. 
<laughs> That's the way to explain that. They, exactly. I, you know, we have at Tulane, the business school, we have a family business uh, section in there. And, and I always love talking to those folks because it's a very special kind of organization. And, uh, you know, I once asked um, one of the people there, I said, is it like, um, is it like half accounting and half, uh, uh, half finance that you're teaching? He goes, uh, no, it's a third accounting, a third finance, and a third psychiatry. <laughs> and um, That's so and true. <laughs> but you've survived. I mean, uh, well, part of it is that, I mean, whether it's the uh, family business unit at Tulane, um, to we belong to an organization, for example, of uh, uh, basically the top 12 men's clothing stores in the country, and we meet twice a year. And I mean, I just got off the phone with one of the members uh, earlier because I had this question about tailoring and other things. I mean, I can call these people and it's about talking and having those people who you can speak to who will be, I mean, the, the, in our group, everything's open, you can talk about anything and it's all confidential. So, you know, I can have this conversation and know that he's not going to talk about it and, and get the comfort, even if it's, I mean, if it's complaining about an employee or a family member or, uh, or any of those things, I can talk to people and, and get it off my chest or just get a better understanding of what's going on. Like, how I, did you handle this? Yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, I think that's the most important thing of, of staying around a long time is having someone to talk to. Um, um, and I think organizations like a Tulane are fantastic because you get in that room with a bunch of people and they may have a speaker who talks about a topic that's important, but really it's talking to those people in that room uh, uh, to find out how to solve a problem or just what's going great. And, and that's what it's about. I mentioned I mentioned bulk for a reason. Um, is New Orleans is the port of New Orleans still catching up on the container side of the business? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know historically the port of New Orleans the kind of bread and butter was break bulk, um, not really bulk. So break bulk is more of um, goods that are like your steel, big steel coils, rubber, kind of natural products, metal. Um, we transitioned into the container business almost 50 years ago, um, actually working out on the industrial canal. And as you've seen in cruise ships, as well as container ships, all vessels, they just keep getting larger and larger. Um, so we moved, that's why we moved out here onto the river um, over 20 years ago at Napoleon uh, for the Napoleon Container Terminal. Um, so we've grown that business over the last 50 years, um, moving over 500,000 uh, TEUs, that's how you measure containers, 20-foot um, mm. containers, and um, it's about 50% of our cargo business today. Um, it's really how goods are moving today, and it's really not going away. If you look at the trend in e-commerce, um, if they can find a way to put a product in a container, they're going to put it in a container. It's the uh, most efficient, cheapest way for a company to move a good. Um, so that will continue to grow. And really for Louisiana to be competitive, it needs to be in the container space in terms of ports. Um, that's why we made the investments that we've made in Napoleon Container Terminal um, and are moving forward with the new container facility in St. Bernard Parish. Um, what limits us here in New Orleans, obviously, is the bridge limits what size of vessel can yeah. get underneath the Crescent Connection Bridge. Um, so that will hinder our growth at some point. Actually, when you talk about diversifying, though, I mean, you're putting up a hotel. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, you know, we have, I mean, all along Canal Street and downtown, there's a lot of upper floors that um, the DDD has done a good job of partnering people and getting uh, those spaces utilized. And we've always, I mean, for years, decades, we've been trying to figure out what we can do with the space. And uh, fortunately, an opportunity came up with uh, our friend Joe Yeager and, uh, and building a hotel. 
And I mean, it's a lot. Of, we, we were using 12,000 square feet of 43,000 square feet. So now, now that is all operational and can bring in the, 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 the money, taxes, and help the economy of the city because somehow we always need more rooms. You know, because you're, uh, I buy clothing online all the time, but because you're a real high-end side of it, what is, is there an e-commerce side? Yeah, well, I mean, that's always been a question. We don't do direct e-commerce. We, we like to call we uh, a custom catalog page. I mean, we, we have our clients. As I said, we have clients. I have a gentleman from North Carolina who hasn't been in the store in 15 years, and I send him stuff all the time. His wife calls. It's his birthday. He needs shirts and ties because we know their size. We know how everything fits on them. And so we do what we like to call cut. You call me up and you say, this is what I need. We take some pictures. We send them to you. You know, we have no problem with sending stuff to you, and uh, and you try it, and then if it doesn't work, send back. Uh, you know, those kind of things. We actually started after COVID. Uh, you know, uh, uh, a box where we literally somebody wanted something, we just drive to their house and we'll drop the box off. They try it on. We come back uh, a few days later and pick up what they don't want and charge the rest. So, you know, that's what our business is really about. It's, I mean, I always talk to people. We're in the hospitality industry, um, is what we are. I mean, we are there to greet people, to make them feel comfortable, to take care of whatever their needs are. Whether it's standing out front telling them how to get to the streetcar, um, to what restaurants are the best places, or even making reservations for people. I mean, it's all intertwined. And so when these people come into town or our locals need help with something, we're there. I mean, I, I got to run you a bow tie because you're about to go to the Rex Ball and you don't have it. Or, or the other day I went all the way uptown to tie bow ties for uh, an entire wedding party. Because nobody remembers how to do that. Nobody seems <laughs> I had to do that since I was eight years old. My mom made me keep doing it over and over. <laughs> You're an expert. Brandy, how long, how long is a train? Oh, well, typically it depends. Um, we're running it, but um, trains can be typically as long as 10,000 feet. We won't run a train that long here in New Orleans Gateway. That? Oh, gosh, it depends. You want to divide um, through Bacay and figure out? We do, well, we typically won't run a train more than 100 uh, cars. Um, what we try to do here in New Orleans, because we're running through the French Quarter, is not build a train longer than um, between two flood walls. Oh, so the exits oh, okay. are two flood walls so that if a train gets stopped, you can get out between a flood wall exit. So that's kind of our rule oh. in um, running the train in the public belt. That's interesting. So there's a science to it. <laughs> I it was. You know, we have a, a connection to trains at Rubenstein's because uh, we have streetcars that go by. And uh, mm -hmm. our, we sell a lot of logoed streetcar uh, guns, okay. which is essentially trains, not a trolley. I have to tell people all the time when they're I'm visiting. I'm from San Diego, visiting, right? and I, so I say trolley. <laughs> trolley a lot. It's not a trolley; it's mm -hmm. a streetcar. Yes. Yeah, yes. there's a big difference. Well, you need some public belt logo material. There you go. Yeah, yeah. We add to that. Just yeah. That, part. that would be really exactly. Kenny, we've talked to a lot of people from family businesses that have been around a long time. And one of the things they hear is that people have been working in the business like since they were like five. Were you, in addition to learning to tie bow ties? Um, were you in the store? Oh, yeah, well, when I was a kid, if, uh, if we weren't in school, you know, if we had a holiday or it was a vacation or a summer, my brother and I were in the store working, <laughs> doing things. I mean, I would say the earliest I can really remember is about eight, but we weren't working hard then, you know. But by the time we were 10 and 11, we would go in and do stock work and check in boxes and check in merchandise and use that old uh, price machine, which had a it still scares me this day. It had pins, or you'd roll the pins on it, and you put the merchandise there, and lean it over the thing, and then the pin would be stuck into it. And I had these nightmares, that pin going through my fingers. <laughs> and I still think about that. I'm, I hated that machine. 
<laughs> and there's no child labor laws when you're relative, exactly. right? There's really That's no true. one to call. No, they, uh, no. Yeah, we're not even going to get into the talk of uh, pay at that time. Um, <laughs> that was, uh, it was just, you did that. You know, and it's actually funny. One of those things about family business, people always said, you know, oh, how's it, what's it like working in family business? And when I was young, I'd come to store. You go to work and you mess up. And you go home and tell her, oh, I messed up and everything's good. I go home and then I'm sitting at the dinner table and dad's talking about it again. Yep. <laughs> like, okay, all right. I know I made a mistake. Let's, uh, let's get past this. Can we move on? And if I eat well and do sit-ups, I'm going to run this place eventually. So it's uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Brandy and Kenny, to anybody who doesn't live in New Orleans, it might seem strange to draw any kind of comparison between a port railroad and a menswear store. But the sound of the train whistle blowing from somewhere near the river on a foggy morning, tugs pushing barges on the Mississippi, and the crew of wrecks rolling by Rubenstein's as the Mardi Gras parade makes its turn from St. Charles Avenue to Canal Street. They're all equally iconic New Orleans moments. I'm not authorized to speak on behalf of all New Orleanians, but I doubt very many of them would object to me thanking you as the current stewards of these New Orleans institutions for everything you're doing to respectively keep the wheels turning and the doors open. I couldn't stop, I had to say wheels. Uh, and thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Uh, you're welcome. Thank uh, you, it's, it's been a pleasure. a pleasure. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Brandy Christian, President and CEO of the Port of New Orleans and the New Orleans Public Belt Railroad, and Kenny Rubenstein, owner and general manager of Rubenstein's. We edited this show to fit into the time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Brandy's boats and trains and Kenny's menswear by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast on your podcast app and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our researcher is Leah Erdialis. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business, New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Tap Room has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. If you'd like to be part of Out to Lunch, to learn how your business or organization can become an Out to Lunch program partner, email info at inobroadcasting.com.